It is so good to be back at Chi Alpha. Guys, I'm telling you, this summer was way too long for me. I know you probably didn't feel the same way, but it was about June 1st, and I'm crying tears because you're not here. Because when you're a college pastor in Cedar Falls, and no one stays here during the summer, that's just the reality. You all go home, you all go be a counselor at a camp. Then I'm here, and I'm the pastor of nothing for three months. It's a lot of fun, but not really. It's lonely. So I need a friend, Jesus, the greatest of all time, right? So Jesus was my friend this summer. Um, but anyway, so if you're new tonight, I'm so glad you're here. For the last 30 days, we've been praying for you. I mean, we pray for you all the time. But for the last 30 days, we've had this focused prayer time. Uh, just where we've been praying that God would bring every student here who's supposed to be here tonight. So here's what I believe. I believe that every student who came to this place tonight is supposed to be here. I believe that God has something to tell you tonight. I believe that God wants to speak to you. And I pray that tonight that you would feel welcome here. That's one of our big things. We say welcome home all the time. If you saw the table tents in the dining center, it says welcome home. Set it on the thing earlier. We say a lot, welcome home. So I pray that you would feel like you're at home. And besides that, we also want to be a place where you can encounter God and grow with other students. So that's part of our slogan, encounter God, grow with others. We believe that God is real. Like we believe that the God of the Bible actually exists today. He's not just something we learn about. It's not just something I read about in the mornings. But, but God is real, and he wants to encounter us. We, so part of our mission is to encounter God and then also to grow with each other. So that's where small groups come in. It's this awesome time just where you get to come with other, come with other students and share your life. I remember like my small group when I was a student here at UNI, it'd be going from like 8 p.m. to midnight, and now I don't let that happen because no one will come. That's the reality. That's four hours. That's ridiculous. But anyways, we would just hang out together and share our struggles with each other and pray with each other and we grew through that time. It was just a powerful season in my life. So I pray that you get connected with small groups. But, so there's my plug. Now I'm going to preach. So well, first I'm going to share who I am. So who am I? I'm Daniel. If you have the slide there, Daniel Quimby. And I'm the campus pastor here, or the lead campus pastor here. And, and my wife is Emily. Where's she at? If you raise your hand. So ladies, go talk to my wife. She's amazing. And guys, you can talk to her too. She's not off limits for you. I, you can chat with her. All right, so... So anyways, I'm going to share my story with you. Is that okay? Because I really believe in being vulnerable and real uh, with each other. So I'm going to share my story. So uh, when I was about four years old, uh, my parents or my mom got in a car accident. She, was break, or she wasn't breaking her neck. She was drinking and driving. And she got in a car accident and broke her neck. And my mom and dad didn't grow up in church. They didn't know anything about God. But my dad always said it, or growing up, he wanted to know about God. There's this desire to know who God was. And I believe that there's people here tonight that you want to know who God is. You don't quite know who he is, but, but my dad needed someone to tell him who God was. So uh, through my mom breaking her neck, uh, she actually met a secretary in a doctor's office. That's where she went for her appointments for her broken neck. And the secretary was a pastor's wife. And if you're a pastor's wife, it's your job to tell people about Jesus and to pray for people, okay? That's your job. So she's praying for my mom. And through that, through the friendship that blossomed there, she gave her heart to Jesus. And then shortly after, my dad gave his heart to Jesus. So for me, growing up in the church my whole life, it's all I've known. Um, I was that stuck-up kid in children's church that would try to, like, answer all the questions, right? Like, some of you didn't care in children's church. Like, I don't give a crap about Noah's Ark. I don't care about David and Goliath. Well, me, I'm like, I'm going to answer this question. I'm going to get it right. I'm getting a gold star. That's just who I was. So I grew up that way. Then when I was 15 years old, some things happened in the church we were involved in that kind of made me question God a little bit, to question the church, and to question the people who ran the church. Uh, and I grew a little bitter at the church in general. And, and maybe you've been hurt by the church, if you're here tonight. And 
And I searched for a different community to fill that vacuum that was there because I you know, stopped getting involved in church as much. And I found the party community. So from the time I was a junior till after my senior year, I partied every weekend, uh, you know, started smoking weed, doing some of that, and just began to uh, you know, dishonor girls with my relationships and also in the background this whole time. So from the time I was 12 to the time I was 18, I'm about to drop a bomb, okay? People don't talk about this, but I'm going to say it. I was addicted to pornography for six years, okay? So this is going on in the background. And I'm feeling this guilt. I'm feeling this guilt raging within me as I'm getting drunk every weekend, as I'm looking at pornography every day, as I'm going to church and pretending I have it all together and everything's good. I'm like worshiping God and I have just alcohol in my breath. I remember whenever my pastor would hug me, I'd be like, don't breathe on him because I don't want him to smell the Bud Light. All right, so that's what I was doing for two years. And I chose to come to you and I to study political science, and that was a dumb idea. I mean, if you're a political science major, that's great. But I just realized I'm not cut out for it. Like, I want to encourage people. And I feel like if you're in politics right now, it's very divided. Anyways, we won't talk about politics tonight. We're going to talk about Jesus. So, um, so for two years, I was here at you and I. But here's what happened before I came to you and I. In July of 2011, I was at this party. And I had these boundaries in my life. I said, if I don't do this, then I can still be a Christian. If I don't cross these boundaries that I made for myself, then God would still love me because I'm better than my friends. And as long as I'm better than my friends, then I'm good, right? So some of us think. And at this party on July 23rd of, or July 22nd of 2011, I crossed every boundary I had. And I came to this place where I felt broken and desperate for forgiveness. For the first time in my life, I truly felt the weight of my sin. And I went home the next day, and I went into my room. I shut the door, and I just began to weep before God. And I just asked God, I said, could you ever love me now? Could you ever forgive me now? And what happened was my mom came into the room. She began to pray for me. Okay, moms are cool, all right? So some of you are trying to get away from your mom. No, your moms are cool. I love my mom. But anyway, she came in. She prayed for me, and she just said, God, show Daniel just how much you love him. In that moment, something supernatural happened in my life. Like, it wasn't religion. Like, it wasn't, hey, I'm going to do better now. It was a supernatural heart change. It was like God grabbed my heart, pulled it out of my chest, and gave me a new heart. It was supernatural. I heard the Holy Spirit speak to me and say, Daniel, there's nothing that you could ever do that could separate you from my love. There's nothing. And that truth transformed me in a powerful way. And I said in that moment, I said, God, if that's true, then I'm never going back to, to live in a double life. I can't go back. Because if you really would forgive me of all the stuff I've done, how could I go back and continue to party and continue to look at pornography and continue to dishonor you with my life? I said, I'm all in. And God said, all right, sounds good. So about a week later, this crazy bald guy called me. He said, I'm starting a Chi Alpha at the University of Northern Iowa. And I think you should be involved with it. And I said, that sounds amazing. And he said, and I want you to play drums. And I was like, that sounds even more amazing. Come on, get the ladies. Come on, play the drums. Boom. <laughs> The chicks are like, what's up? Come on. I thought that's what would happen, but this is what happened. I came the first night, and it was about this row and that row. That was it. And I'm like, ooh, this isn't as cool as I thought it was, but I told you yes, so I'll play. So anyways, play drums. There's like 15 people there, but there was one lady there who was special, and that was my wife. I met her in the very first Kyle for service that ever happened on the campus of UNI, okay? Crazy how God works. And then, uh, so Jonathan, so my pastor, Kyle, a pastor, said, hey, I come to fall retreat. And to be honest, I'm just not a retreat type of guy. I don't want to go and play Foursquare and go, or go hiking and climb rocks. I just don't want to do that. It's not me. I'd rather play Madden. Come on, Madden. 
was it 18 or 17 came out this week? Yeah, something like that. It came out anyways. That's what I want to do. But So he called my mom. That's what this guy did. So don't complain if we pressure you, okay? Because like, I'm not going to call your mom. I won't go that far. This guy called my mom. He said, hey, will you pay for him to go to Fall Retreat? My mom said, of course. So I got stuck going to Fall Retreat. But at Fall Retreat, God did an, just an amazing thing. And I experienced this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I won't explain it tonight, but if you come to Fall Retreat, you'll hear it explained. It's this powerful experience where the Holy Spirit fills you, and you're just, it just changes you. So the addiction of pornography broke off my life in that instant. It was a supernatural thing, because I was still struggling with that, and that broke off. And, and after Fall Retreat, I um, just began to really seek the Lord, and I realized that Emily was supposed to be my wife, and we began to date. And then two years later, uh, we decided to transfer, or transfer away from you and I because uh, we're feeling called to full-time ministry. So we went to Minneapolis for a couple years, and Jonathan left at the same time. So the Kyle had grown to about 50 students or 60 students, and, and Jonathan had left. So in those two years, it began to dwindle down again, and there's about 15 to 20 students left. And Pastor Drew, who was the state director of Kyle called me on the phone and said, hey, would you be willing to come back and be the pastor on it, you and I? And I just had to be spiritual about it, so I said, I'll pray about it. I'll pray. You know, I'll seek God about this. But I knew I wanted to do it right away. So I prayed for two seconds and said, yes, I'm going to do that. I just felt like it was what I was supposed to do. You don't always have to pray through everything for a long time. You didn't think you'd hear that in church. But anyways, so came back in 2015, began to lead the Chi Alpha, and began to believe that God would do something amazing. We believe that God would fill up our old space, and he did that. And now we're believing that God will fill up this space. And tonight is amazing. This is the largest Chi Alpha service ever in the history of Iowa. So come on, praise God. Um, Praise God for that. Unless Iowa State's beating us right now, which they could be. But hey, you know what? We're humble here. We're servants. So if we got second, that's okay. But so God has just done an amazing thing here. So that's my story. And now I just want to share uh, the word with you tonight. Uh, There's something I believe that God has for you. And here's some things that I know tonight. I know that each of us have come in here with our own struggles, our own hopes, and our own desires for what we want out of life, and specifically for you, what you want out of college. You have your own idea of what college is going to look like. But God's desire for all of us is that he would be the center of our lives, that God would be the answer to our struggles, that God would be our greatest hope, and that he'd be our first and foremost desire. And his desire for us is, like I said, that each of us would build our lives on him and his word. And here's the reality. Only when we center our lives on God will we find true satisfaction and find meaning in life. And only when we center our lives on Jesus will we be able to live out the divine destiny that God has for each of us. Only in that space will you truly be joyful and truly live the life that you were meant to live. If you try to do it without Jesus, you're going to come up short. That's just the reality. Because it says that that Jesus came for each of us to to have abundant life. That's what Jesus came for, to give us life and give us life abundantly. It says that God's commandments are for our good. So when we center our lives on Jesus, that's when we live our best life. That's the reality. So tonight, I kind of want to plead with you a bit and talk to you about the message of Christianity. It's called the gospel. They call it the gospel, the good news, and talk to you about just what Jesus came to do and how it affects our life. And I pray tonight that you would choose at the end to build your life on Jesus, that you say, I'm going to go all in for this thing. If you're a Christian in here, but you're kind of half and half out, I pray that you jump all in tonight. If you're not a Christian, I pray that you'd say, hey, this sounds pretty cool. I'm going to jump into this. And if you're a Christian, Keep running, baby. Let's go. Come on. I pray that that would happen tonight. So, so here's the deal. We got goats going on, going around town. There's goats going around in culture. There's football goats. Tom Brady, 
Do you know what a goat is? It's the greatest of all time. All right, so we talk about these different people in different sports and different uh, or genres of music who are the greatest of all time. So Tom Brady kind of sealed the deal on that for football back in February, didn't he? Or when he came back, what was it, 28 to 3 or something? That was crazy. Like, I was having a heart-to-heart with Matt McClellan during that comeback, and I really regret that because that was a great comeback. But Matt, I love you. It's good talk. <laughs> but uh, so Tom Brady is the GOAT of football, okay? Five Super Bowl championships. And in basketball, there's a debate going on. We can de- or talk about it at B-dubs. But it's either James or Jordan. Who is it? Who thinks it's James? There's like one person here. A couple people. Okay, what about Jordan? All right, come on. Come on, come on. It's Jordan. But anyways... In hockey, it's Wayne Gretzky, and I know that because I looked it up on the internet, and it must be true. (laughs) In baseball, it's Babe Ruth. In pop music, it's it's Michael Jackson doing the thing like that. I don't know how it goes. And rock music, it's Elvis, I think. I don't know. He never really got to me, but supposedly he's the king of rock and roll. But anyways. Um, So anyways, we talk about all these goats, but I think there's only one human is who is truly the greatest of all time, and that's Jesus. I truly believe that. He's the greatest of all time. I believe that Jesus is the greatest human who ever lived. Even if he wasn't God, he's still the greatest human who ever lived. He was pretty amazing. He's raising the dead. He was healing people, doing some pretty miraculous things. But I believe he's God, so that just takes it up a level, okay? The greatest of all time, Jesus Christ. And the Gospel of John talks about Jesus, as the Bible does, and specifically the Gospels. And the Gospel of John tells us the story of Jesus and talks about how Jesus is the Messiah and God in the flesh. And it shows Jesus to be the goat of humanity. Well, he's actually the Lamb of God. That's what he's referred to in John. Actually, it says that in the end that God's going to separate the sheep from the goats or the lambs from the goats. And the goats are bad, so I don't know if this really works. He's the Lamb of God, okay, theologically, but we'll call him the goat. Okay, anyways, Jesus is the goat. And we see him perform these just crazy miracles in the Gospel of John. So in John 2, he turns water into wine. And then in John 4, he heals this official son. And then in John 5, and we're going to read that tonight. It's pretty amazing. He heals this man at the pool of Bethsaida. And then John 6, he feeds 5,000 people with just five loaves and two fishes. And then he walks on water. Okay, he just took the cake right there. Walking on water. Come on. That's amazing. And then he heals a man born blind in John 9. This is pretty cool storage. You guys should read this. Like, this is amazing. All right, then John 11, it's like the climax, okay? And in week three, we're going to talk about that. And also week three, I think we're going to premiere our, a song we wrote called The Greatest of All Time. So you better be here then. But anyways, it's amazing. I helped write it, so it better be good. But anyways, so John 11, Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. He raises someone from the dead. So here's the deal. If that's true, If Jesus truly raised Lazarus from the dead, then we better all think about how we can center our lives on him because this guy must be up to something, okay? Like if Jesus, and think about it, if Jesus really rose from the dead himself, which we'll talk about later, then that should change our lives. That should change the way we live. So tonight, though, we're going to look at John 5, and it's the the healing of the man at the pool of Bethsaida. And let's read it. It's verses 2 through 15. If you have your Bibles, you can uh, just open them up. Otherwise, it's on the screen. Let's read this. It, It says, Now... There is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethsaida, which has five roofed colonnades, and in these lay a multitude of invalids, blind and lame and paralyzed. And one man who was there had been there for 38 years. That's a long time. Not had been there, but he had been invalid for 38 years. 
It's pretty incredible. And then when Jesus saw him lying there, he knew that he had already been there a long time. Here's the deal. Some of you have been in your struggles for a long time, and Jesus already knows that, okay? Like, he already comes to the situation tonight. He come, or came here tonight to meet you, and he knows where you've been. He knows what struggle you've been in, and he can free you from that tonight. He can heal you. All right, so he, or Jesus knew that he had been there a long time, and then he said to him, do you want to be healed? And then verse 7 says, the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I'm going another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, get up, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed. And he took up his bed and walked, and now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, it's the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, the man who, who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. And they asked him, who is this man that said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not, or did not know who it was, for Jesus had uh, just withdrawn as there was a crowd in that place. Verse 14, get this. It says, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well, and sin no more that there could be nothing worse that happens to you. Verse 15, the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. It's a powerful story. Let's pray about that tonight. Jesus, we thank you for your word. God, I pray tonight that your word would cut through uh, the barriers that each of us put up in our hearts and that you would be able to speak to us tonight. And God, I pray that each of us would encounter your presence and be able to hear what you have for us in this place. God, we love you, and we praise you for all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so the main idea tonight is this. If you're one of those people who takes naps during the sermons, and here's the deal, I can see you. I'm not blind. I see you sleeping. So it's okay, though. I'm not judging you, because I give you the main idea. So if you just want to get one thing and then take a nap, you can write this down, take a nap. You get the main idea. Okay, so put this up here. Jesus, or Jesus alone can save us from ourselves and from our sin. Jesus is the greatest of all time because he alone can save us from ourselves and from our sin. So as we talked about, so as we talk about the gospel and how Jesus can save us, I want to propose this question to you. Put it up there. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed? If you notice, Jesus asked the man, do you want to be healed? And the man had to want it. So do you want to be healed tonight? I pray that you consider that question. So now I'm going to just take a second to break down the gospel in three points, okay? So if you want to know the story of Jesus in three points, I'm going to try to break it down. First thing is this. First thing we got to get. Each of us have fallen short and cannot save ourselves. Each of us have fallen short and cannot save ourselves. Each of us has sinned. We've each separated ourselves from God because of our actions, and on our own, we're incapable of saving ourselves, we are incapable of freeing ourselves from our past sins. We're incapable of satisfying our present self. And we're incapable of giving ourselves a truly robust hope for the future. On our own, we're incapable of that. And I believe that, that a great hindrance to salvation in our culture today is that each of us don't want to admit that, or that we need help. We don't want to admit that, that we need saving we don't want to admit that each of us has a problem. Those of a more conservative persuasion would be tempted to say, I can achieve goodness by hard work and by going to church and being religious. If I do that, I can achieve my own salvation. Those of a more liberal persuasion would say, I'm going to work for the progression of society, the betterment of society, social justice, and through that, I'll achieve salvation. So each of us, no matter where you're at, 
and no matter how you believe about the world, we each struggle with admitting that, that we need saving. And we need to realize something, though. God did create everything good in the beginning. So Genesis 1.27 says this, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. In male and female, he created them. So God did create us good in the beginning, but that's not where the story ends. Shortly after, in the Garden of Eden, in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve take from the apple. You probably heard that story. They eat it, and they sin. And ever since, and each of us has been born sinful, and we've all fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So none of us are born good, and we can't do anything to change that. We can't do anything on our own. Each of us are like the sick man in John 5 who are begging for someone to carry them to the waters of salvation. We're lying there crippled and we're saying, can someone carry me to the waters of salvation? John 5, 7 says, the sick man answered him, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm going down, a, there's another who steps down before me. So without Jesus, we lie crippled, waiting for someone to carry us to the waters. We're Desperate for forgiveness from our past, for satisfaction for the present, and for hope for the future. And we need someone to save us, to carry us to the waters. And because of God's holiness and the severity of sin in his eyes, if we've sinned, it says that the penalty for our sin is death. It says that in Romans 6.23, it says, For the wages of sin is death. So each of us are born sinful, and the wage of sin is death. So each of us are born headed to hell. That's the reality. And we need someone to step in and pay our debt. When we sin, which each, or which each of us have, we create a barrier between us and God, and we have a debt on our behalf that just needs to be paid. And the only way for it to be paid is death. So we need a Savior. We need someone to pay our debt. So for me, when I was growing up, I didn't quite understand that I needed saving. I thought I was pretty good. You know, I had a gold star in children's church, so God must accept me. I thought that I'm better than my friends, so God must accept me. I'm pretty religious. I go to church. I play on the worship team. God must accept me because of the things I do. And I didn't realize the gravity of my sin and that there's this chasm between me and God. And it took me falling down to, to the lowest of places to realize that I needed saving. So tonight, some of us need to realize that we've fallen short. And I want to challenge you to examine your heart tonight and see where you've fallen short. It could be something that that's, that's uh, just not even seemingly terrible, but a good thing that you've just made God in your life. Something good that you've made into God in your life. It's the most important thing in your life. So it could be sports. It could be your academics. It could be your girlfriend. It could be sexual pleasure. It could be anything. You've made it into the ultimate thing in your life, and you serve at the throne of that thing. And tonight, you need to repent of it. It could be being a good person. You think, I'm religious. I'm a good person. And you worship yourself. You think, I'm amazing. I'm better than my friends. And tonight, you need saved from your religious pride. That's the reality. Each of us have our own struggles tonight in this place. And I pray that you would examine your heart and say, God, where have I fallen short? And that you'd realize the gravity of your sin. And you wouldn't have to go down the same journey that I did where I hit rock bottom. And that you'd realize in this place, in this beautiful setting, that, that you are sinful. And give your heart to Jesus tonight and ask him to save you. So that actually leads me to my second point. I'm jumping ahead. So here's the second thing. We're all offered salvation and can be saved through Jesus. So although each of us have fallen short, the greatest of all time is capable of saving us. 
He can rescue us from sin and death. And nothing is too hard for God. There's nothing that's too hard for God. So I don't care what your story is. I do care what it is. Like, I care about you. But the point I'm trying to make is no matter what your story is, God can save you. God can forgive you. You haven't fallen too far. There's nothing that's too hard for God. I don't care if you've never walked into church and this is your first experience tonight, being in just a religious space. God can save you. God can save you. Jesus is able to save you. God is able. And I pray tonight that God would transform your life. It says this in Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but then it goes on. It says, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So although the wages of sin is death, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on, that's good news today. Praise God. Thank you for clapping, all 10 of you. You guys are amazing. I just got this rally crew in here that I'm like, clap at this time. No, I'm kidding. We don't do that. All right, so there's three things that Jesus does to save us. Okay, so here's the story of God right here. First thing he does is he came. Okay, Jesus came. Jesus became one of us. So picture this. Jesus is a member of the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If you want to explain that sometime, I'll let you do it. Because I don't really want to. It's kind of complicated. But God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He is Trinity. For all of eternity, they've been experiencing profound and intimate community as a triune God. And Jesus chooses to come out of that and to become a human being. And we know it can be hard to be, or to be a human being. He becomes flesh and lives among us. And then, or it says in John 1.14, it says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. So he dwelt among us. God became man through Jesus Christ and dwelt among us. But he didn't just become one of us. Jesus was tempted just like each of us are, but he resisted sin. Okay? He resisted all the temptations. And then he was rewarded with a, just a great reward. And that's the second thing. Jesus died. So he was perfect. And then he died. Why did he die? Let's talk about that. Jesus' mission was to die for the nations of the world so that they could be saved. God knew that each of us needed rescuing. And he said, I'm going to send my son to save the nations of the world. I'm going to send my son to save students at UNI. And he came and he died and he paid our debt. He paid our debt on the cross. It says the wages of sin is death. Well, Jesus fulfills that penalty on the cross when he dies the death that each of us should die. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21, It says, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The one who knew no sin became sin for each of us. Do you get that? Does that that, register with you? God became sin for us. That's got to do something to us, people. Like we've grown up in this Christian or pseudo-Christian society, and sometimes the cross just doesn't do anything for us anymore. That's got to do something to us. God became man, and he died for each of us. He paid our penalty. That's like the judge in a courtroom saying, hey, this dude murdered 20 people, but I'm going to come and pay that penalty. I'm going to sit in the chair and take the execution. That's what it's like. Jesus paid our debt. He died on our behalf. And then he did something else, and this is the super cool part. Jesus rose. He, Jesus rose from the dead. He didn't just die and get put in a tomb, but Jesus rose from the dead. Come on, somebody. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Come on. There's no other God that became man and died for you and then rose from the dead. There's just not. 
I'm telling you, like, history is on our side with this thing. It's really hard to explain the resurrection if you're a secularist. It just is. It's really hard to explain. Historically speaking, it happened. Like, if you use all the different criteria of a historian, there's no way to explain it other than it happened. I'm not going to explain that tonight, but if you want to talk to me about that, I'd love to talk about that because the resurrection is amazing and it's really cool and it really happened. So anyways, Jesus rose. So Romans 6, 9 says this. It says, we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again and death or death no longer has dominion over him. So by rising from the dead, Jesus has made new life possible for us. So now when we die, we know it's not the end, but at the last day, God will raise each person and separate them by those who trusted Jesus and those who did not. But each person will be raised and they'll be sent to heaven or hell. So those who didn't trust Jesus, those who did trust Jesus uh, just will be saved and those who don't will not. So this is glorious that, that death does not have the final word. And I love our story in John 5. The crippled man had been discouraged. He thought he could never walk again. But Jesus looks at him and he says, get up. Verse 8, Jesus said to him, get up. Take up your bed and walk. And the guy got up. That's pretty cool. Like, this is pretty cool stuff in here. This should, like, do something to us. Get us excited. Like, if that really happened, then we can change this campus. Okay, there's nothing too hard for God if he can just raise a guy up. Be like, get up. Get up, son. He gets up, starts walking, probably does a dance. This dude was crippled for 38 years. Come on, somebody. That's got to change us. That's amazing. This God we serve is so powerful. He's so powerful. He rose from the dead. So does anyone in here like Harry Potter? Come on, somebody. Harry Potter? Woo! I like Harry Potter. I read the books like twice. I was going to say more than that to sound cool. It was two times. But anyways. So if you haven't read Harry Potter or watched it and you still want to and you haven't, which is weird, but if you haven't done it yet, then close your ears. I'm going to talk about Harry Potter for a second. I'm going to give some spoilers, okay? So in the seventh book, Harry and his friends are trying to take down Voldemort, Okay? They're trying to take him down, and they realize that Voldemort has split his soul into like seven pieces, I think is what it was, into these different horcruxes. That's what they're called. Okay, it's a cool word J.K. Rowling came up with. And Harry comes to terms with the fact, or he realizes that, that he's actually a horcrux because Voldemort tried to kill him when he was a baby, and it didn't work. And then part of Voldemort's soul like latched on to Harry. I don't know. I don't get it. But anyways, it happened. So Harry realizes that he's a horcrux. And he realizes that if they're going to defeat Voldemort, then he has to give himself up because he has to kill himself because he's a horcrux. He needs to die. Voldemort's going to die. So there's this battle between good and evil, and Harry says, I'm going to go sacrifice myself. And no one knows it. And Harry goes off into the forbidden forest, which is pretty cool. You should watch the movies if you haven't. But anyways, goes off into the forest. There's all the creepy guys with the hoods on just hanging out there. And Harry comes out and offers himself. And Voldemort is pumped. He thinks he's amazing, kills him. And then Harry goes off to Dumbledore land in heaven. <laughs> Just him and Dumbledore. They're hanging out up there, and Dumbledore's like, if you want to go back, you can. You can. I'm like, what? This doesn't make any sense. But anyways, so, but I think J.K. Rowling might have stolen that from the Bible. I don't know. But anyways, so, and Harry comes back to life. So Harry has a decision to make. Does he want to come back, or does he want to get on the train and ride off into the clouds? Which, that's not what heaven's like, but we can talk about that later. But anyways, so, Harry comes back. He's like in, in Hagrid's arms, if you remember that. He's carrying him up. And Harry jumps out, does a backflip. That doesn't happen. But he jumps out. He takes down Voldemort, and they win. Okay? There's an incredible biblical parallel there, isn't there? 
Jesus, or not Jesus, Harry offers himself, and then he comes back from the dead, and they end up defeating death, or they defeat Voldemort. So if you pay attention to our culture, guys, you're going to see the gospel all throughout our stories, our beloved stories, because the greatest story ever told is the gospel. And writers steal from it all the time, even ones that aren't Christian. That's an incredible biblical parallel, and that's what Jesus did for us. He came and he died for us, and then he decided to come back from the dead and, de- and defeat death, sin, hell, and the grave. There's one more thing that happens, though. The third thing, all right, put up on the screen. It's the third thing, the third piece of the gospel. If we make Jesus our Lord and trust in his work on our behalf, then we can be saved and given new life. So if we want to be saved, we must put our faith in Jesus and trust in him as Lord and Savior. It says in Romans 10, 9 through 10, it says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you can be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. So we don't need to perform a religious ritual. We don't need to do any certain thing or climb this spiritual mountain. But all we must do if we want to be saved and and to have a relationship with Jesus is confess that Jesus is Lord and truly believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. If we do that, we'll be saved. And I love that John 5, it doesn't just end with the man getting up and walking. Jesus comes back and says, I got something else to say to you. In verse 14, let's read that. It says, afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, see, you are well, sin no more, that there could be nothing worse that happens to you. So Jesus says, don't go back to your old life, but instead walk in, in the new life that I've given you. Don't keep sinning, but instead trust in me and truly make me the Lord of your life. So when we decide to follow Jesus and receive forgiveness from sin, it's not just a get out of hell free card. Like, hey, I'm, I'm not going to hell. I got the card. That's not what it is. It's an invitation to new life. It's a gateway to resurrection life here and now. It's supposed to change your life. Don't go back to your sins so that nothing worse may happen to you. It's this entrance into this abundant life that God calls us to, this, this resurrection life. So those who truly encounter Jesus won't want to go back to the way they lived before. I believe that. There's some who fall away, but for the most part, if you've encountered Jesus, you won't want to go back to your old life, and you'll live a new life. So there's some people in this room who have encountered Jesus, but, but you haven't decided to walk as a new creation yet, as a new creature. I pray tonight that you would choose to, or to walk in the new life that God has called you to walk, and not just get up, take up your bed and walk, and be forgiven, and then keep doing the same stuff, but instead follow Jesus and do whatever he asks you to do. So when I got right with Jesus in July of 2011, I knew that I could not go back to my old life. I knew that if he really did that for me, I could not go back. I could not go back and do the same dumb things I was doing before. I had to live differently. I had to be different. I had to be a new creature. The worship team would come up. We're about to close here. Oftentimes, we want a spiritual fix, or we want forgiveness, or we want religion. Some of us want religion in this place. Is that true? Some of you want religion. You just want something to feel better. But we don't actually want to be the new creation that God has called us to be. Sometimes we want religion to ease our consciences, or we go to church or Chi Alpha to feel better, but but we don't actually want to live the life that Jesus has called us to live. Guys, we need to realize tonight that, that if we put our faith in Jesus, or when we put our faith in Jesus, we become a new creature. The old is dead and gone. Who's that guy that sang that song, Dead and Gone? Is that too long ago? I don't know. 
Anyway, was it T.I. or something? or Justin Timberlake? I remember at a youth conference, this is so sidetracked, but they sang that song, and I was like 15. I'm like, yeah, dead and gone. I'm dead and gone. But anyways, okay. So anyways, and it didn't really work out for me, to be honest. It took a couple of years, but anyways. So the old is dead and gone. Second Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. He's a new creature. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When you put your faith in Christ, you don't just become a new creation, but you also go from being someone who's condemned. Here's the reality. If you don't know Jesus tonight, if you haven't put your faith in him, you are condemned. You stand condemned in your sin. I don't say that to be harsh. I just say that to be truthful with you. And I'll always be truthful with you. I'll try to be. I'm going to preach the word to you. I'm going to try to do that. So if you don't know Jesus, you stand condemned. And you need a remedy for your past, and you need a hope for your future. There's one who can take away all condemnation. His name is Jesus. It says in Romans 8.1, there's therefore now no condemnation. No condemnation. Come on, somebody. No condemnation for those who are in Christ. That should change us. There's no condemnation. So if you're a Christian tonight, but you feel condemned, I pray tonight that you would feel the loving grace of God that says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Those words I heard on that morning of July 23rd, Daniel, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. There's nothing that you could ever do that could separate you from my love. I pray that that truth would permeate your life tonight and it would change you. I pray that you'd be a new person tonight. And it gets better, okay? There's one more thing that happens when we become a new creature. John 1.12 says this. I love this verse. It says, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. He gave the right to become children of God. You go from being an enemy of God. It says you're an enemy of God when you're in your sins. And he takes you and he, he takes you from that and then he calls you a child. Jesus purchases your adoption on the cross. You become a child of God. And Jesus, or God, is the best father that you could ever imagine. So if you've had a bad father, like, don't picture that. Picture the best father, the best father you've ever seen on TV or on a movie, like, or in your friends' lives. Like, the best father you've ever seen. God is, like, a billion times better than that. The best fathers are slow to anger. They're forgiving. They're graceful. They guide you. They lead you. They love you, for better or for worse. That's the life we're called into as a Christian. We're a new creature. And we're no longer condemned. And we get a father who is the creator of the hundreds of billions of galaxies. The father who controls the solar eclipse. That is our father. He created everything. He's over everything. He's over all the rulers of the earth. He's in control. He's the God of nature. The God over the human body. The God over the galaxies. He can be your father. And he calls you into relationship tonight. I pray that you would enter into a relationship. Guys, religion is cheap. It's cheap. But instead, religion, they're not religion. Relationship is abundant. It's amazing. It's incredible. It's this life where you just realize that, that you're living the life that you've always been called to live. You're living right in your sweet spot, right in the middle of where you're supposed to be in, in relationship with God. That's right where you're supposed to be. So I pray tonight that you would throw away religion that you throw away trying to do better, that you throw away trying to be your own Savior, and instead you say, I surrender to Jesus, the Savior. Pray that you do that tonight. So the main idea again is this. Jesus is the greatest of all time because he alone can save us from ourselves and from our sin. 
Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. It gets better. Romans 8, 38 through 39 says, there's neither, or for I'm sure of this, that there's neither death nor life or angels or rulers or things present or things to come or powers or height or depth or anything else in our creation that is able to separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus our Lord. So back to the beginning, I ask you tonight, do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed tonight? Because if you want it, he's ready for you. He's ready to tell you to get up and walk. So tonight we're all at different places in our journey. Some of you tonight grew up in church and you've already put your faith in Jesus. And you're already a new creation. If that's, if that's you tonight, I simply ask you to reflect again on what Jesus has done for you and to allow it to move you to be different, to not just be religious or to attend church, but to be a new creature in all that you do. There's others who have followed Jesus in the past, but you walked away, or you grew up in church, but you never made it your own. I pray tonight that you would make this faith your own and that you would encounter again, or perhaps for the first time, the real, true God, that you encounter him in this place. And finally, there's some of you tonight who you never, ever put your faith in Jesus. You never thought you'd even come to something like this. And you just have been living condemned. That's the reality. You've been living separated from God. And tonight, Jesus wants to bridge the gap between you and God. Jesus wants to pay your penalty on the cross. Jesus wants to call you into relationship. And I pray tonight that you would decide to be a new creature, that you would put your faith in Jesus, the greatest of all time. I pray that you would do that tonight. So I'm going to give you an opportunity to be healed tonight. So if you'd bow your heads and close your eyes. I got two questions for you. The first one is this. If you're here tonight and you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. If you want to make the same decision that the man made in John 5 and get up and walk, I want you to do that tonight. So whether you once followed him in the past and walked away, or tonight you need to make a decision for the first time, I believe tonight is your night. God brought you here for for a reason. So make a decision right here, right now to follow Jesus. So if that's you, I'm going to count to three. And at three, I want you to raise your hand. There's nobody looking around. It's just me and you. Just our moment in God. So on three, I'm going to count. I'm going to count to three and then raise your hand. So one, two, three. Put them up. See all those hands going up. Tons of hands going up in the place. Tons of hands going up. Tons of hands. There's so many of you guys. All right, I'm going to pray with you tonight. And just pray in your heart. We don't have to say anything specific, but, but instead we just have to put our trust in Jesus. So I'm going to pray and you pray in your heart, just a simple prayer of surrender. Jesus, tonight we put our faith in you. And God, we trust you to be our Lord and to be our Savior. God, we confess or confess with our mouth that you're Lord. And we believe in our hearts that you were raised from the dead. God, we ask that you would come into our lives and change our lives. Give us a fresh start. Make us new. God, make us a new creation tonight. God, we pray that the old would be dead and gone in Jesus' name. There's another question I have for you tonight. So if you're here tonight and you're a Christian, but if you're honest, there are some sins, there are some struggles, there's some stuff going on in your life that's separating you from God, and you need to get it off your chest, I pray that you do it right now and raise your hand. So I'm going to count to three and put your hand up and give that to Jesus because there's no place for sin in the life of a child of God. So one, two, three, put your hands up. There's hands going up all over this room. All right, tonight we're giving it to King Jesus. You can put your hands down. I'm going to pray. Jesus, we pray tonight for us Christians in this room who haven't been truly living the faith out or, 
or we've been struggling with some sin. God, we pray tonight for redemption. We pray for freedom in this place. God, we pray that you would set us free from our sin, that you would forgive us for our past, and that you give us a new future tonight. God, I pray that each of us in this space would truly live out the life that each of us are called to live as children of God. So God, we pray that all in your name. Amen.